Marine veteran Scott Husing tells the captivating story of Echo Company, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, during the Second Battle of Ramadi, during the surge in 2006. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. My good friend and fellow veteran Bob Eulen has come out with his new book titled Transitions 2.0. This is the best book for any transitioning veteran. Check out Transitions 2.0 at veteranonthemove.com slash transitions. All right, we're talking with Marine veteran Scott Husing, who is a uh, company commander, uh, Echo Company in in Ramadi several years ago, and got a new book coming out here in the near future. But before we get to talking about all that, take us back a little way, Scott, and tell us a little bit more about what you did in the Marine Corps. So first, hey, thanks for having me on the uh, show, Joe. This yeah. is a great, I, lo- I love what you're doing and the message you guys get out there. Um, I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1989, went to Desert Storm and Desert Shield, and then I uh, decided I'd better further my education and uh, went to college at Illinois State, and after which uh, wound up getting my degree in, in commission as an officer. So I've seen both sides of the house, both enlisted and, and an officer. So I've had that experience, which is, you know, a, a unique perspective. It didn't, sometimes people ask me if it made me a better officer, but I, the answer is always no. I, I say it just made me uh understand a little bit more about what the young Marines went through and uh, how to really value their time and how important that is and how to train them and never waste those opportunities. So uh, I grew up, uh, you know, through the ranks, uh, went to college, and then after 24 years decided to retire in in late uh, December 2013. Uh, So I've been very fortunate uh, to have 24 years in the Marine Corps and traveled to over 60 different countries and 10 deployments, some, some in combat, some not, but uh, it's given me a lot of perspective and appreciation for what I have and also for what I don't have, um, you know, after that long serving in the Marine Corps. Absolutely. So you and I have our, our footprint of our career in the Marine Corps is almost like exactly, exactly the same 89, 90 to, to the end of 2013. So, um, your name sounds kind of familiar. I bet we've walked some of the same ground at some point, but we were talking quite a bit before we started this interview. And, uh, so Scott, you've been retired for a few years now. What was your transition like and and what have you been doing since then? When I transitioned in 2013, it was a, a good process for me. I say that to a lot of military veterans that are getting ready leave, leave the military. And the, the common theme that I hear is ah, I'm nervous about leaving the military or I'm uh, scared about what's ahead. And I always tell them this is that don't be afraid, be excited. It's a new mission and you should have everything to look forward to because there's so many great opportunities out there. When I left the Marine Corps, I already had a job set up for me. I'd gone through the interview process and looked at what was a good fit for me. And at the time I wound up working as a director of training for a very exclusive private security firm located in the uh, LA area. 
which was a great opportunity for me. And it was a really good fit. Uh, and I did that for about a year and a half and then decided that although the, the money was good and Hollywood and the excitement, uh, I needed a change of pace. And that's when I decided to move down to Southern California. I bought a small ranch out in wine country and decided to finish my first book, which is my upcoming book, Echo and Ramadi, which is a first-hand account of the U.S. Marines as they fought in the deadliest city of Iraq in Ramadi in 2006 and 2007. But the transition was really, I looked at it from a, as a job. Uh, I got up every morning. I had a, a, a regiment, just like the Marine Corps taught me, um, to you know keep a list of all potential employers, how to interview. I, I interviewed no matter what. I think, I think that's a very important part of developing your transition skills is to interview and whether it's on a telephone interview, whether it's in person, you need to be prepared for that. And you should talk to the experts that do that or practice with family and friends before you go in. Uh, never do it blindly. I think that's some bad advice that people say. Uh, a lot of Marines will think that they're not, uh, they're, they're kind of immune to the effects of failure because we're always so mission oriented and we're, we're bred to succeed. But it's, it is a different world, and the civilian component in the, in the private sector does speak a little different language in most cases, and you need to be prepared for that. So uh, that's how I set myself up for transition, and, and now what I'm doing, working for myself, I started my own company uh, to not only further my writing, but also public speaking and doing appearances um, to help you know motivate uh, private sector companies and nonprofit organizations. One of the big platforms that I love speaking to is universities and ROTC programs and institutions that have these audiences of the future leadership of our military. And I think that's something that really makes me feel good at the at the end of the day to be able to give back to those types of institutions it really makes me happy. Yeah. So what what is the main theme of of your your public speaking and in your company, as far as talking to people, it sounds like you're, you've got a message to them. It really depends on which agency or organization is, is asking for me to come talk. I, I love talking about transition. Like we're talking about on your program on the, you know, the, the perils and the, and the positives of military transition and the great aspects. I, I talked to some organizations about, post-traumatic stress uh, and dealing with that. Uh, I talked to certain organizations about leadership and, um, you know, combat experience. And I always, the main theme that I, I tell audiences and the same thing I told my Marines is that there, there's no such thing as combat leadership. It's just leadership. Uh, you either lead or you do not lead. And that's a philosophy that I've preached for years now. So, it really depends on the audience that I'm talking to, but I'm always willing to share my story um, and my experiences. And I don't think that they're any better than anyone else's. I just think that I have a different perspective from uh, the number of years that I spent and the diversity of people that I've met. And that was really the great thing about being in the military is we recruit and commission our nation's finest. I mean, it, Joe, it's less than one half of 1% of the entire American population that ever even served our nation's military. And it's such a great demographic, not only junior enlisted Marines, but our officer corps as well, that I, 
I actually wrote a little bit about it is it took me a while of research and wisdom and experience to figure out that it's not that the Marines or soldiers are the most lethal trained warriors on the battlefield or how shoot they straight their, you know, straight they shoot the rifles, but they're artisans and, and craftsmen and poets and musicians. And yeah, sometimes writers that that's what really makes our military so great is we've got all these great people and they come together and great leaders really know how to tap into those uh, abilities that our young servicemen and women have. And if they realize that and the importance, not only of their service, but the talents that they have, I think that transition to the private sector will be that much easier for them because they can either fall back on what they uh, did before they joined the military, what they gained in the military, and then kind of blend that together to enhance their, their resume for what it is they choose to do after they leave the, the military service. So there's, they have a lot of options. Um, and I think that's a great, great thing to focus on for transitioning veterans. Absolutely. And I, I think oftentimes when, when there's struggles, sometimes there's a struggle because the veteran knows exactly what they want to go do. And there's just lots of roadblocks along the way. And, but I think the, the, the worst struggle that, that we hear of is guys get out and they just, they just flounder. They don't, they don't even have an idea what they plan on doing. Um, you know, one thing that, one thing that's going on like, like these days is the GI bill is so good that even if they have no desire to go to school, they just enroll in like a local community college or whatever. And they basically waste their GI bill just so they can get the monthly stipend. <laughs> yeah, and they show up to incredible. class once in a while and barely scrape through and they're not even studying anything that they're interested in. I'm like, Oh my God, come on guys. There's yeah. gotta be something better than that. Or, you know, save that GI bill for later on. Or if you were one of the ones fortunate enough to be able to, uh, use that for a family member later on down the road. If you don't really want to go to school or you don't want to go to school right now, don't just blow your GI bills as a, as a, they must use like a little welfare program. So they get the money and they don't do it. But you know, I wouldn't advise that <laughs> I received $326 a month for my GI bill. When I transitioned as a young enlisted guy and went to uh, Illinois state and I, I don't say I went to Illinois state to brag, you know, they only let us select 50 or 60,000 every year. Uh, so I managed to get into Illinois state after a not so stellar career in high school. Um, and then enlisted in the Marine Corps. But yeah, my, my GI bill was only, you know, 300 plus bucks and it barely covered beer money. So I had to work, uh, pretty much 40 hours a week in addition to taking. Yeah. And that was, that wasn't eight. like your tuition was paid and then they gave you 326 on top of it all you got was 326. Yeah, that was it. And I was fortunate because I'm from Illinois and I had the Illinois Veterans Grant. And I know there's other states like Texas that have that where my tuition was at least paid for, but nothing paid the rent, nothing paid for food and uh, all the expenses and, and things like that. So um, how transitioning veterans plan to use that money need, needs to have some thought put into it uh, so they can succeed. And I think you're absolutely right, Joe. Is that, you know, just going in to collect the cash is 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 a poor choice in some cases. And unless they're going to set a short term goal for themselves and understand, like, yeah, I want to get this degree or I want to get this certification that's going to enable my success in this in this industry or this private sector uh, job field that uh, I really want to wind up in. You know, the other thing when they set that goal is 
for guys that whether they spend four years in the military or 24 years in the military like me, you get in this mindset that you think that you have to do something forever. And I think I was a victim of that, too. I, I subscribed to that. I thought, well, I'm going to leave the military. I'm going to go work for this company and I'm going to be there for 20 years. You don't. That's the great thing about when you get out of the Marine Corps or the military is you can quit. You don't have to do four years. If, you, if it doesn't feel right to you, if you don't wake up every morning passionate about what you're doing, transition again. Do it again. Find something that you love and do that. So I think that people feel because they, they'll get a degree or a certification and they'll sign on to do a job that there's this this training or this uh, you know mindset that they have to do it for, for an extended period of time. Uh, obviously, they should weigh the options before they quit a job, but there's there's a lot of opportunities and there's so many companies in this day and age that that love hiring veterans because of the leadership skills that they bring to the table and the the, the amount of experience that they have. That world experience is something that you can't educate people on. It's something you can't train them on. It's something only life provides. And that's, again, something people will get if they've been in four years or 24 years. I, I think that's an intangible quality that they bring to any veteran employer, any organization that values leadership. Absolutely well said. Hey, Scott, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Army veteran Bob Eulen knows the struggles veterans face in the transition process and has dedicated his post-retirement years to helping veterans successfully transition into the civilian sector. His new book, Transitions 2.0, is one of the best books for any veteran facing the transition process. You can find Transitions 2.0 at veteranonthemove.com slash transitions. Also, Bob Yellen is the chairman and CEO of the Center for Transitional Leadership. CTL seeks to assist and empower Armed Forces personnel during their transition from military service to private sector employment, with particular focus on helping military men and women position themselves to be sought-after candidates in the civilian workforce. I have the pleasure of serving on the board of directors for CTL, and you can check out the CTL website by going to veteranonthemove.com CTL. Oh, we're back talking with Scott Husing. Um, Scott, you were saying early on that uh, after you retired from the Marine Corps, you worked for a little while, and then you, you bought, bought a little piece of piece of land, a little piece of freedom out there in, uh, in California, and you've been working on your own, uh, running your own show for about three years now. Touch a little bit on what that's like, you know, actually working from home or running your own business um, out of your house and piece of land and, you know, living a good life. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm very fortunate to, you know, have a nice little ranch out here. And some people ask me, you know, Hey, after 10 deployments in the Marine Corps and being away from your family so long, how, you know, how, how do you make up for that? Uh, you know, to your, to your young daughter. And I tell them horses, but you buy them horses, it makes up for everything. So I've been really fortunate to, um, you know, find a place where I feel comfortable and, start my own company uh, as a consulting service where it affords me the opportunity to work from home and spend more time with my family and do the things that I really want to do after 24 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, that entails not only public speaking, but working on my first book, Echo and Ramadi, which comes out in February of 2018. And I'm also working on my second book, which we, we 
spoke about before the show, which is a, a great story about uh, some of your fellow Cobra pilots and, and Huey drivers in the Marine Corps. But working from home is very different. It requires a lot of discipline and it, it's not self-discipline. It's just, just discipline. You, you have to apply all the tools that you learn in the military about getting up early, having a routine for yourself. Uh, everything I do is very similar to that because I'm very strict on myself. If I don't get to the gym at a certain point every day, I make sure I maintain my physical fitness. I clear out my emails at a certain point. I write for a certain point. I do edits for a certain point. Um, and then kind of re rinse and repeat that cycle. But working from home takes a lot of discipline. And there's a tendency, I think, some people can be distracted from it. My wife just recently picked up some some online work where she's doing some consulting for uh, an educational firm and she's working in the office close to me and she looks at me and she says, I don't know how you do it. And I look up from my computer, I said, what? She goes, I don't know how you work from home. I'm so distracted. There's so much distraction here. Yep. So you really have to find a spot that you it, it really becomes your place of work. And what's great about it too is there's a lot of benefits to working from home as well as far as tax advantages and some advice I always give to other veterans who decide to go down that road is, Hey, find a good tax attorney or find a good tax accountant that can really educate you on what you're entitled to claim. Uh, so you do save money as a independent business person working from home, whether you're a writer, whether you put, you know, shingles on a roof or whether you fix cars, you need to find someone who's knowledgeable in, in maximizing your benefits under the U.S. tax code. So that's really important. But the discipline part is something that you have to have on your own in order to succeed. And I can say that as a writer and an author that everything you do, you have to do for yourself. Um, there's a time for talking and there's a time for doing. But nobody's going to hand anything to you for free. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of research. And we were talking about this, too, is it? Is it a guy that works from home is it's great that you can go to the gym whenever you want or go to the Home Depot whenever you want, but you're always working all the time. And your your family needs to understand that as well Is the phone doesn't shut off at five o'clock p.m. when you leave the office. You're always on and you always need to be open to new opportunities and really put yourself out there and create opportunities for yourself. Don't ever say no. Always look at it as an opportunity, whether you didn't like it at the end of the day or, you know, there's, I'm sure there's speaking engagements I've done that I'm like, yeah, I wish they would have set this up better, but it was experience for me and it, it helped, uh, you know, promote the story that I'm trying to tell. It, it, it always winds up being a great networking opportunity. You always meet at least one person that falls in love with what you have to say or thinks uh, of a great way that they can help you help your organization or help you succeed. So there's a lot of benefits to it. So I, I've had a very positive experience with it, Joe. So Scott, were you able to approach working from home with that, with that disciplined mindset from day one, or did you like flounder for a little while and you're like, Holy cow, I've got to like fix things here. Otherwise I'm never going to get anywhere. Well, I, yeah, I think everybody does. You, you eventually find, as we say in Marines, you know, a battle rhythm to mm -hmm. establish and, and that can fluctuate. There's always pop ups that that happen, family emergencies or fun events that you want to do instead of working. 
But uh, I, I think for the most part, uh, I went into it with a business mindset. And you look at everything as a mission. Because if you don't do it, uh, your work is going to suffer. You have to hold yourself to strict deadlines and really make others accountable, too, for providing you feedback and uh, comments on your work as well. So, yeah, I floundered a little bit, but it, it didn't take me long to figure out what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. Uh, and that really came with the support that I got from from the network of, you know, family and military supporters. And, and I always talk about this network and um, I, I do a lot of work with with charity organizations to help veterans with post-traumatic stress and through other nonprofits and, uh, you know, my gold star families, which are a, a very important part of, of my family that I'm very uh, inextricably connected to. They're just amazing people. Um, the gold star families for your listeners that don't know are those family members that have lost their son or daughter in combat. And, um, you know, I was talking to one of them and he was, asking me, well, what's this network you keep talking about, Scott? And I told him, I, I said, well, it's, it's not like I'm trying to, you know, sell, you know, it's not a five CD self-help set or um, some church of Scientology. This network is, is this great organization of military supporters and veterans that just are great people. They want to help veterans succeed and they do it free of cost. So transitioning veterans need to understand that when you're in the military, you think you're in this, you know, very bonded, protected bubble of this fraternity of um, Marines or soldiers or sailors, and that nothing like that will ever exist outside of the military. And I've got news for anyone listening to this program. When you leave the military, if you allow yourself to be open to the network, I'm telling you, this is a fact. It is even bigger than when you're in the military. There are millions of veterans and support groups and people that just want to jump on board and help you succeed in life. It is just it never ceases to amaze me. And that's occurred um, not only in the charity work that I do, but especially uh, through my my book, Echo and Ramadi. When I first started pitching it around and the, the manuscript was really rough, I was extremely fortunate, Joe, to have so many people endorse the, the project People like Major General James Livingston, Medal of Honor recipient, uh, Bing West, New York Times bestselling author, Jack Coughlin, New York Times bestselling author, Dale Dye, actor and Vietnam vet. And the list goes on and on and on. And those accolades are great. But also the most important ones came from my Gold Star family members and my fellow Marines. And, you know, being a Marine as well, that in the military, the private sector rules don't really apply. And as I started farming out uh, chapters and having people read it, if it was, you know, if it really stunk, they'd tell you, you know, it was yeah. bad. They're like, ah, you could not put this on the street. It needs work. But it was written well enough and everybody got behind it. So it really validated my decision to invest a year of my life writing this story and also going to the mainstream uh, publishing house in the traditional publishing world to get the story told to the largest audience possible. And I was extremely fortunate uh, with the military support I had. And then to find a publishing house like Regnery, which is a conservative publishing house on the East Coast that really got behind the story and, and took a chance uh, to tell this amazing story 
um, this 10 month snapshot in time about the second battle of Ramadi, that support and that network, it, every day it continues to grow and Marines and military members are only separated by probably two degrees of separation. If I don't know somebody, somebody knows somebody that knows somebody. And that's really a great thing and a great feeling to have to be supported in what you're doing. So any of you listeners that think they're going to be isolated or removed from that military community, they're not. Yeah, so true. Um, I think veterans may have problems when they do isolate themselves or detach themselves or they may go back home or they go back home where, where their spouse lives and that's not where they grew up. So they've, they might feel detached, but you have to make a little bit of effort to go out and make some contacts, but that network is, is everywhere. You just have to figure out where you're going to tap into it. And especially in today's, you know, today's world where you've got, um, everything's online and, you know, virtual and everything else. There's no reason to not be, uh, staying in touch with whatever veteran network suit, you know, suits you. Yeah. There's a lot of groups, social, social media, love it or hate it is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tool that people need to use and apply and, uh, kind of leverage that, uh, it's become part of my daily battle rhythm to, you know, be on social media. But, uh, you know, aside from that, you know, transitioning veterans need to understand too, that, um, just like I did when I, when I started the laborious, uh, process of trying to get my book published, um, when I first started pitching Echo and Ramadi, the first, the first step was trying to find an agent to get into the, uh, traditional publishing houses. Mm-hmm. And that entailed long nights of sending very detailed emails and a lot of rejections. And you just take it as, as part of the business. And you have to learn that as you go and you have to understand that, you're not the right fit for everybody, but there's, there's going to be someone that's going to love it. Uh, and they're going to love you. And I always, I always talk about, you know, how I grew up, not only as a young child, as someone that always, I, you know, I used to thrive on this lifestyle of risky behavior as a child. And, you know, I'd take ridiculous stunts when I was a kid and, you know, jump off the roof or, you know, jump my BMX bike, play BB gun wars. That was, you know, and that, transitioned over into the Marine Corps because they were the biggest group of risk takers I'd ever met. But <laughs> as I moved into, um, what I'm doing now, you know, I look back again through, through age and wisdom, you know, there's going to be times in life where people will struggle and whether it's in daily life throughout my career, I've had my share of challenges and my share of struggles as well. And I write about that in detail in, in, in my book, Echo and Ramadi. And that's a tough thing to do to share that. But I, I felt I owed that after I did 100 interviews with my Marines and their families to tell that. But I think about the lessons that I learned, not only while I was on active duty in the Marine Corps, but also over time. And I found that that risky pattern of behavior that I was accustomed to that was also extremely dangerous and at sometimes very detrimental to my health, both mentally and physically, um, you know, that was something that had become a part of my, my lifestyle. And, uh, one of the things that really embraced that was in the Marine Corps, that type of lifestyle is really an acceptable lifestyle for most. And, 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 and it is almost embraced by the Marines that I served with both enlisted and an officer. And I think probably the biggest challenge for me was that throughout my life of high risk, um, the friction and uncertainty of combat through the multiple combat tours I had that, that fast pace, 
it was really the absence of that friction that I had a difficult time adjusting to. And you can understand this as well. And a lot of your listeners, uh, this program can understand there's absolutely no way to recreate or replicate that type of adrenaline or excitement. And for many, that is truly the toughest battle. So when you talk about floundering and you talk about transition, um, you know, I learned this through age and wisdom and, um, I didn't always take that into account when I was tasking these young sergeants and corporals on the battlefield, you know, all I saw was sergeant. I didn't see a 22 year old that didn't have the life experience that I had as a 36 year old captain. But it also showed me that no one is perfect. And there's times that I have slipped in life, uh, both in the military and as I transitioned out, because that's life. Life is slippery. You know, there's these inevitable points in your career and in life that you lose traction, you slip, you fall. And for me, you know, it was an easy process really to share those parts of my life when I wrote about it. But that's a decision I made. And I did that really, Joe, only in the hopes that others can learn from it and that it's all right to not be perfect and, and to know that you're going to fall at some point because I've fallen. And the, you know, again, the real measure of success, and if this is not just cliche, is picking yourself back up and carrying on with that mission, whatever that mission is, whether it's your career, transitioning from the military, being in the military, or in life. And most Marines really understand this, and, and anybody in the military, you can almost feel it coming as you lose ground, as you lose that traction, but most veterans will ignore it. They, they really think they're impervious to the effects of gravity, especially Marines, because that's how they're trained. <laughs> but and that's no pun intended because you're an aviator, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they do think they're impervious to the effects of gravity. Um, but when you lose traction, that, that ground underneath you, make no mistake about it, you're going to land hard. And some land harder than others. Um, but, you know, with each fall, you continue to learn and you continue to adjust. But I'll be the first to admit that I had my share of tough decisions and struggles. Um, and times when I lost traction, but despite those punctuated moments of humility, I, I think they really made me feel more human. And that allowed me to look forward and identify those slippery areas in life that were on the road ahead of me. So I think that's an important lesson for transitioning vets to understand is that there's going to be times as they move forward out of the military that, um, there, there's going to be some painful points and it, it you can't really take it personally. You, you really have to learn from it and and apply yourself um, to the next challenge ahead of you. Well, that was very poetic. The the absence of friction was one of the toughest things you had to deal with in your transition. Yeah, yeah. I I when I was in combat, uh, especially in Ramadi in 06, which was the deadliest city of Iraq at the time. You know, I had this amazing group of marines and soldiers and sailors around me and not not an elite unit by any means but a, a group that had this remarkable chemistry that we fought and trained together so well and they were like this giant yet lethal protective bubble that surrounded me on the battlefield and we took care of each other better than anything else we've ever known just an amazing group of of marines that i had the privilege to lead and 
when you leave the military, I think a lot of guys will feel isolated and that that bubble is not there around them. But I, again, I have news for the listeners, military listeners and, and those that have never served is that bubble, that protective bubble, it's still there. Um, that, that network is always there to support you and guard you. And to this day, I still stand protected, not only by the Marines I fought with and how closely we communicate, whether it's a phone call or social media, but also from the families of those who supported us while we fought, Joe. And also through those amazing Gold Star family members that are always there for us uh, when we call. And, you know, it's very important to me that we stay connected because we're a, connected as an eternal family. And it's just an amazing thing. That's awesome. Well, hey, Scott, unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Um, when, you're, when your book comes out, Echo and Ramadi, I'm assuming we can, we'll be able to find it on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. If your listeners are interested in uh, finding out more about the book, it's available for pre-order now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can just Google Echo and Ramadi or Scott Husing, and you can pre-order your copy on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Or if you want to learn more about the book or about me, Feel free to go to my website at www.echoinramadi.com. You can learn more about the book, a little bit about me, and you can also click on the links to pre-order a copy now. And the book itself will be on bookshelves everywhere on February 20th, uh, 2018. Awesome, Scott. Well, good luck on the book launch. Um, uh, I want to hear sometime in the future about you know million dollars worth of sales and everything. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And, and and the rest of your, you know, working from home ventures and everything else. So it's been great. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, intimate knowledge of, of the transition process and, and your personal transition also. Hey, thanks, Joe. It's been, been my, my privilege to be on the show. And uh, it's uh, we're looking forward to uh, a lot of success with the book, too. And, and a portion of the proceeds uh, will go to uh, Save the Brave, which is a, a nonprofit I'm the executive director of and to help also our gold star families out there. So uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to www.savethebrave.org and uh, you can find out great ways to help veterans that are dealing with post-traumatic stress as well. And uh, thanks again for having me on the program, Joe. It's a real pleasure. Awesome, Scott. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch and see how your, how, how successful your book is. Look forward to hearing about it. All right. I look, look forward to coming back on the show. All right. We're Oscar Mike. As you can tell from listening to the Veteran on the Move podcast, interviews are a great way to tell your story and spread the word about your business. If you would like to get booked as a podcast guest, I recommend Interview Valet. You can check out Interview Valet at veteranonthemove.com slash valet. Be sure to check out thrive15.com, the world's premier online education platform that helps entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs Learn how to start or grow a successful business. Start your free 30-day membership by going to thrive15.com and use the promo code VETERAN. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.